Good morning. My name is Tim Davis, and our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Ecclesiastes. Please follow along in the Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, 6 through 8, 13 and 14 from the New International Version. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel, the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from. And the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, said the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here, and I'm really glad to see you all. I want to just briefly mention Free Wheelchair Mission again. Last night, we had an amazing dinner event here. And it was amazing uh, as somebody who's only been here for four years and going through these fundraising events and dinners at our church over these four years, I've seen a change. And last night we had so many families and kids and it just was a visible sign that there is a continuity happening in our church and the dream of being a multi-generational church really is happening. And I was so excited just to partake in the visual of that. And then on top of that, we get to do, I think this might be one of my favorite missions that I've ever come across, Free Wheelchair Mission. I love it so much because it's so simple. Everything is in the name of it. And it's providing mobility to these 100 million people. I mean, one of the things I'm tempted to do to abuse my power as pastor is to call on all of us to live one 24-hour period without walking. Like, that would really create impact and change our perspective on what it's like. Imagine, like, just dragging yourself to the bathroom to brush your teeth, and then you can't spit in the sink. Like, just a small thing like that could be so impactful. But imagine doing that across dirt and gravel. You know, just the thought of that. And I can't believe we get to do that with such ease and convenience from the comfort of our own salary receiving <laughs> seats and beds and desks. It's just such an amazing thing. Last night, guys, the unofficial sort of loose count so far, we raised over $60,000 just from last night. Isn't that just amazing? And I'm happy to report the Sung family, we bought 10 of them because we cannot pass up a good bargain. If we buy 10 chairs, which we did, that's 40 chairs. I would never give that kind of bargain up if I was buying like shoes or a jacket or something. But to do that with wheelchairs for people and it changes their life forever. And I myself witnessed what it's like 
the power of handing somebody a wheelchair and then lifting them up literally off the ground, placing them in that chair and seeing the reaction just sort of ripple out from there across the whole community. If Jesus himself came and healed that person, there would not be greater results. It was just amazing to see that. So I really encourage you to participate uh, in this uh, today. Times four, you guys, times four. That's really uh, an opportunity, and I hate for us to lose that. So please do that. Every single person that uh, you can buy for, you should buy for today. Okay? All right. That's the end of my spiel on that. Uh, Today, we are going to conclude our series. Uh, We've been asking, what's the point in the book of Ecclesiastes? And it was not, in my opinion, an experience, the easiest book to get through. So congratulations to me and to all of us who struggle through each chapter. But we covered all 12 chapters. Uh, We will have at the end of today. And today, I want us to uh, think about what it means to thank God. Thank God. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And uh, today we get to read this little satisfying sentence we've been waiting for since we started reading the Bible. Okay, verse 13 to 14. Because this is what we want, the Cliff Notes version of what life is about, what the Bible is about, what this whole thing is about. Here it is. Now all has been heard. A little dramatic there. All has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. This is it, you guys. Boil down to one thing. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now, there's probably a spectrum of emotions and thoughts that comprise this room. Here's what these little verses mean to me. There is a lot, a lot of meaningless activity and striving under the sun, just in my life alone. I look back on my life and I see, now, you have to understand that the whole story is always determined by the ending. Because it's the ending that reveals what everything was for. You're asking the question, what's the point? What's the point? What's the point throughout the whole story? And it's only at the end of the story you're privy to what everything was actually about. What lasts? What makes lasting impact? What matters? What actually contributed? What had value to add? We don't know. So we sort of engage ourselves in a lot of activity, and everything is meaningless except for just a few things, right? The preacher here, Solomon, says, meaningless, meaningless. All is meaningless. Everything is meaningless except for just a few things. I see that in my life. It's definitely true. I remember growing up, and I remember grades were so important, And now I'm 43, I look back and I realize, I'm not so sure how important grades were. Shh. (laughs) Don't say that out loud. And then I remember a stage when friends were everything. 
Friends were the world to me. I remember sitting at my desk and being unable to do homework because I can hear the sounds of playing outside. My friends are playing without me. What was I missing? Guess what? Didn't matter. Didn't know that, though. It was really, really everything. What about you? Your life. Is there a lot of meaningless activity and striving under the sun in your life? Just look back. What mattered? Turns out, what mattered? Legacy, I think, matters. I think that life is short and temporal, and I really want to know what's going to last and have lasting impact. But even when I say the word legacy, lasting, how long? How long do you want it to last? Your lifetime? A few years after you're gone? Maybe a generation? Maybe two? The third generation, they don't even know you existed by the third generation, right? What do you mean by legacy? How long does something have to last for you to assign it meaning? Effectiveness. You know, I want to know what matters. A plus B equals C. I want to know what actually contributes to the desired outcome. And we learned in Ecclesiastes that lots of things don't contribute anything at all. You think you're making an investment You think it's going to be a blessing, turns out you suffer loss and it's a curse. You just never know how things will actually turn out. I want to know the ending. All of the meaning and wisdom and effectiveness and legacy we've been looking for, who cares unless it actually is standing at the end of the story? And so I conclude looking at the verses and looking at my life, this one thing, that as it was in the beginning, so it is in the end. There's only one thing that remains, and that conclusion is God. Nothing else actually matters except for God. The whole point of life is God, that God himself is existence and reality. He defines what is. Remember God's answer to Moses, I am. There is no beginning, there is no end. Everything is in him and from him and through him and back to him. You don't exist apart from God. Nothing you see, feel, or hope for exists apart from God. All of the physical laws of science, all that is somehow an expression of God himself. All of the striving and the battles we fight here on earth, none of that matters unless God determines that it matters because he defines the purpose. And in due time, God will judge everything. Everything is going to be determined by God because he is everything. And we are invited to join God in his purpose and his existence as conscious beings for all of eternity to partake in beauty, love, truth, righteousness, peace, joy, And this is my favorite thing, 
what the scriptures call pleasures forevermore. And we are invited to partake in this, not as rocks, but as conscious human beings created in his image with the capacity for beauty, love, truth, righteousness, peace, joy, and pleasures forevermore. And all of that is encapsulated in this one word, worship. Worship is the participation with and enjoyment of God for all of eternity. Life ultimately only has meaning if we are able to transcend our own self and existence onto God and think upon God. All of life boils down to you coming to grips with the fact that you are a creature created by God in this big, lonely universe to somehow connect with the end and beginning of all things and to participate with and enjoy God forever. And that's what we call worship. You were created for worship. And worship isn't dull and monotonous. It's not what we do here on church stage only. You just imagine like an eternity long praise set. That's not what heaven is. It's beauty, love, truth, righteousness, peace, joy, and pleasures forevermore. I mentioned earlier that I'm 43 years old, and I was thinking about my life so far uh, this week, and I realized that I've lived many lifetimes already, and I still have many lifetimes to live, I imagine, I hope. My life started in South Korea. I was born and raised there until I was eight years old. And uh, when I think about life in Korea, I don't really remember it very much. I was born in the 70s. And South Korea was pretty much a third world country uh, at that time. And we were still sort of recovering from the Korean War. And uh, there was um, lots of militarized zones and uh, ways to sort sort of rebuild life. And I remember growing up in that country. And I also remember uh, being part of a really loving, supportive, uh, healthy, functional family in my family of origin, but also lots of chaos and dysfunction outside of my family of origin. And I remember the trauma and the abuse that I experienced from some of the family members. And so I sort of deal with that as part of my early life. That feels like a lifetime. And then I remember uh, life as an immigrant, immigrating here in 1981, in the 80s, and just how hard that was, how much in survival mode we were, how little we understood. And my parents' best hope of understanding the the mail they got or the phone calls they got or the paperwork they had to fill out was their children. And I remember the ways that I was parentified and had to play the role of a parent to my parents. And that was really awkward and weird and hard. I remember growing up in the inner city, uh, in the red light district of New York City. I remember all the graffiti and all the gangs. I remember being beat up and kicked and being bloodied. I remember being chased and I remember being shot at. I remember what it was like to always have to look over my shoulder or cross to the other side of the street. That feels like a lifetime ago. 
I remember how much pressure there was to succeed academically because my parents identified that as the way to succeed as immigrants, as the key that's going to open up society's resources and recognition and legitimization. Pressure. I remember uh, going to middle school and I took some tests and I got tested into the advanced uh, thing that was called SP5. That was the name of my class. You know, somebody uh, at the nine o'clock service this morning, somebody said, oh, maybe that's it for smart people. I remember getting into Stuyvesant High School, which was made famous during 9-11 because that was right down the street from where the World uh, Trade Center and the Twin Towers collapsed. That was in every broadcaster's back view was Stuyvesant High School. And all the pressures I faced at the school studying science and math. I remember my ministry journey, feeling the call to ministry, discerning ministry or med school, I remember trying to figure out how to be a husband and what that meant. And that was hard, mostly for Susie. I remember becoming a father. I remember the exact moment when I realized I'm in trouble because I had spent my whole life trying not to be vulnerable with people. And then I remember uh, my oldest was maybe, I think, three years old or so. I remember exactly where I was standing and what I was doing when I said to myself, Oh, no, I love this child. I'm vulnerable. I'm probably going to do anything and everything for this kid. What am I going to do? I remember the pressure I felt about finances and how to be a responsible leader and provider and husband and father in uh, in my family and trying to figure that out as a church planter and all the pressures I felt there. I remember the journey of formation so that I can become a more mature human being and how painful and tedious and cyclical that whole process feels. I've been learning and growing and healing at other people's expense for most of my life, and I realized uh, earlier this year that I'm sort of right at the beginning season of what they call giving, For the next 10 to 20 years, I'm in this unique uh, plateau of a life stage where I'm actually going to contribute. I'm not just going to take. And the balance, you know, I've been receiving more, but now for the next 10 to 20 years, I'm going to be giving more. And that's it. That's all we get, about 10 to 20 years of that. And then after that is what they call a season of afterglow. You know, and that's, those are the years when I have to deliberately think about legacy and handing off everything that I am and everything I've learned to other younger leaders. I have to do that. I have to get, a, get into Jedi training mode and take on some Padawans. And then, you know, I do that for about 10 years. And you know what's after that? What's after the afterglow? Ashes. I deteriorate, and then I die, and then I decay, and I get eaten by worms. I'm being very biblical. This isn't Acts. This is my life verse. It says, King David, after he served the purpose of God in his generation, slept with his fathers and underwent decay. 
Do you realize this is your greatest hope in life is to be eaten by worms after you've served the purpose of God in your generation? What's your purpose? Why are you here? What's the point of your life? Why have you traversed all this way? What is it all for? Is it really about you? Is it really about your job? Is it really about how cool you are or how accomplished you are or how amazing you are? Here's my conclusion after thinking about my life. Human life ain't much. It's really kind of nothing. You know, I roast coffee every week. I was making coffee for Susie and myself this morning. Looked into my can. There's just a little bit left. And I said, oh, darn it, I got to roast again. It's kind of tedious. But I uh, appreciate one thing is chaff. You know, when I roast the beans, there's this chaff that sort of settles on the top as a top layer on the beans. And you know what I do to get rid of the chaff? I just go, blow once, and it's, it's just gone. It weighs nothing, means nothing, contributes nothing. It's just chaff, ready to be blown away, burned up, disappeared, lost, forgotten. I have to do that every week. I never think about the chaff. I blew off the beans last week or the week before. It's just completely erased from my memory. It doesn't exist at all. Then Ecclesiastes saying, most of life is just chaff. All of the things we've been gripping so tightly uh, to or white-knuckling and grasping at, all that amounts to nothing. It's just chaff. It's gone. That's your life. That's my life. After we serve the purpose of God in our generation, we undergo decay. The whole point of human existence, the whole point, the whole lesson that we've been trying to learn our whole life is to not dwell on human existence, but to eventually somehow, by luck, by grace, by effort, transcend human existence onto thinking about God and not ourselves. The whole point of remembering your life is to forget your life. The whole point of growing and going through hard things and all of that, it's just so we can forget about ourselves and begin to thank God. Do you recall this guy? What's his name? George Burns, right? And what is he famous for? Oh, God. And Oh God, book two. I know there's probably a bunch of you who've never seen this guy before and never. I grew up watching these movies. I loved it. I loved it because in these two movies, Oh God and Oh God, book two, George Burns plays God, right? Doesn't he look like God? (laughs) Or John Lindbergh, I'm not sure. After service, God is sitting right here in the second row to my right. (laughs) And in these movies, he chooses a random character to sort of start a campaign on planet Earth to bring people back to God. And the campaigns are always, think God. 
And I want to invite you with uh, Solomon here to thank God and not yourself. Because I think if you live long enough, you realize you're really not worth it. You're really not because you ain't much. You're not worthy of the obsession and the thinking and the preoccupation. You're just not. But God is. I want to give you a definition for meaningless. Meaningless is every human endeavor to control, contain, or deny God. You know, so all of the money earning we do, all of the career advancement we do, all of the one-upmanship one we've been doing our whole life, all of the competing, all of the striving, all that effort in some ways is an endeavor to control, contain, or deny God. We want to minimize our need for him. We don't want to have to trust or rely or follow or submit or depend or look to. And we want that control. We want that praise. We want that glory. Don't we? We want to sort of cut out God. And you don't have to believe in God to be trying to do that. It's just a natural human instinct. Nobody says, I want less money. Nobody says, I want less power. Everybody wants more. And all of that, Ecclesiastes says, is meaningless. And here's what is meaningful. To humble yourself. To acknowledge God. And then move towards worship of God. All of the wisdom, all of the insight, all of the endeavors of life boil down to this one meaningful thing, to worship God, to attribute worth to him, to understand that we are creatures, we were made by God in his image to reflect his glory. This is why we exist. Tim Krell is here today. He just came back from riding across the country on a bicycle. Isn't that amazing? But who cares? <laughs> who cares? Who's going to remember that? Unless Tim was worshiping God, unless in his heart he found a place for God as he experienced awe, as he took in all that God has done, as he contemplated life, and he says, God, I belong to you. You are why I exist. I am just chaff, ready to be blown away and forgotten about. Unless, unless I'm a worshiper of you. In all my human endeavors, this is what I long to do, to worship God. This is the place we want to get to. Uh, the preacher in Ecclesiastes has a, uh, puts a little pressure on this. And he says, you got to do this, not just anytime you want, but before. That's the operative word. He says, before the days of trouble come, before the years approach, 
Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark. I especially like this one because scientifically we know that our sun is going to burn up. You know this, right? And it's going to spill its guts. It's going to implode in on itself and then explode. And then it's gone. It's fascinating to think that it could have actually exploded eight minutes ago. You realize we wouldn't know this for eight minutes like, in eight minutes, we could die. I know. Such a doomsday preacher. What's the nearest galaxy to us besides our own, the Milky Way? Alpha Centauri, right? It's billions of light years away. It may not even exist. We don't even know. It may have died a billion years ago we would still be enjoying it for billions of years more. Isn't that just a weird thought? The sun, light, moon, and stars definitely grow dark. And then Revelation says, we won't need the sun. I just love when scripture aligns with science like that. We won't need the sun because Jesus himself will be our light. He himself will be the source of warmth and life. I love that. And then the silver cord is severed. This is an interesting one. Uh, What's the silver cord? You know, lots of theologians sort of ponder what the silver cord might be. So I did my fair share of research this uh, week, and I learned that there's a lot of near-death experienced people who speak of a silver cord, and they're very specific about it, if you believe them. This is not the Bible or even me. I'm just relaying Google to you. Uh, The silver cord, people will have these near-death experiences, you know, like a car crash or a hospital room or something, and they see their body sort of floating above the scene, and their self is attached to the body through a silver cord, and they're very specific. They say it's about an inch wide in diameter, and it's kind of wispy. It's solid, but you could also see through it, and it seems to be dynamic and kind of moving, almost like a wisp of smoke. And sometimes people describe pulling on the cord to bring themselves back into their earthly existence. It's kind of interesting. And so theologians surmise that this is probably our connection, our spirit's connection to the body and life as we know it. I don't know what to believe, but think about this. There's just a thin filament between life and death. Here we are with lots of questions, and in a moment, one snap of a finger later, we might understand everything if everything we've learned is actually true. Because we're really not much anything, right? How many of you know people that have died? Just like that, now they know. Now they know. And so we're going to find out what the silver cord business is about. Uh, The dust returns to the ground it came from. The spirit returns to God who gave it. And the preacher says, remember your creator. Acknowledge your creator. Humble yourself before your creator. Worship your creator before these things. Because these things are definitely coming. The days of trouble, yes, check. The years approaching, yes, check. 
sunlight, moon, stars growing dark? Yes, check. We have witnessed the explosion of stars, the darkening of the sky. We have documented this. We have video evidence of this. Check. We know people who have severed the silver cord and they're no longer with us. Check. We know that our bodies return to the ground from which it came. Check. It's going to happen to you also. Find and worship your creator when? Not after, before, now. Right now is the best time to do this. Because just like that, it might be too late. And that's real, that's true. Verse 13, fear God and keep his commandments. All wisdom, all of your insight, all the power you need for life is found in this one little word, humility. Humility. Be humble. Understand that you are not God. Understand that you are not in control. Understand that you exist for other people. You exist to worship God. You exist to serve, love, and give. This is why you are here. Your mobility, your wealth, your gifts and talents, your opportunities, your time, all of that exists so that you can worship God. Be humble. Consider other people's interests more important than your own. Confess your sins. All you have is your integrity. You are going to be judged against yourself, your conscience, your knowledge, and your convictions. The scripture offers us one primary way to humble ourselves, and that's found in 1 John which we're going to go through during our Advent season, it's this. Confess your sin. Confess where you have tried to play God. Confess ways that you have not worshipped God. Confess ways that you have dark, loved darkness rather than light. Confess. That's all there is for us human beings. Confess that we are not God and that we need saving by God so that we can do the thing that God initially created us to do, which is to worship God. Remember God. Think God. Find meaning, purpose, joy, and hope in God. You want to know what your life purpose is? You, know, you want to know why you exist? You, know what? you want to know what the point of everything is? Here it is. Fear God and keep his commandments. So simple. It's not complicated. How can you do that? How can you find the courage or the strength or the wherewithal or the ability to risk confessing before God and before one another? The only way I know of is through the cross of Christ. That Jesus says, I died for your sins, and your confession does not lead to death, but it leads to life. 
the thief and murderer hanging next to Jesus said to Jesus, Lord, please remember me when you enter your glory. And that's the only prayer we have left. Jesus, somehow remember me. Somehow hear my prayer. Somehow bring me back. Somehow forgive me of all of my sin. Cover me in your blood. We can confess because Christ was forgotten of the Father on our behalf. Ultimate meaning, ultimate, the ultimate act of humility and worship is captured by the cross of Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads and pray with me. I want to invite you to have an honest moment before God and acknowledge that your life and all your endeavors don't amount to anything more than chaff unless you are worshiping God. Life, death, and life everlasting beyond this here life, beyond the silver cord, beyond all the turmoil of our world stands Jesus Christ, humble before God, exalted before man, and to him we bow our knees and worship. God, before it is too late, before we are judged, help us to come kneel before the cross and acknowledge you as God, as our creator. Help us to fear you and keep your commands that we may find life everlasting. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.